when you ask God, what does it mean for a person to be blessed? All of those things are not the first things to, that come to mind. Uh, God, throughout his word, gives us lists of things of what he considers to be blessing. And just to kind of recap, because I'm going to do a little bit, I'm going to piggyback just a little bit on the back of uh, last week's message. Uh, just to recap a little bit, last week, the word of God, we said, declares basically, God said, you're blessed, uh, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are weak, or meek, excuse me, uh, those who hunger for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted. We're considered blessed when we consider the poor, when we look to others who are less fortunate, when we get disciplined or corrected by God, we are blessed. When we remain steadfast under trial, we are blessed. Those who die in the Lord are blessed. Those who tithe are blessed. Those who ultimately, those who uh, meditate on the word of God are blessed. So we see how that God's definition is a little different than ours. Our blessings have a tendency to focus more on the temporary. God's blessing temp, uh, focus a little bit more on what is eternal. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit more about the curse part of all of that. If you remember last week, I ended my message with uh, Moses gathering all of the children of Israel together, and he reads to them the entire law, ultimately the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And so basically what Moses, what God says through Moses to all of the people, he said, okay, here's God's word. He said, what, I, what I'm doing, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey all of God's commandments. A curse if you don't obey all of God's commandments. Doesn't take a, a, a rocket surgeon to figure that out, right? Blessing if you obey God, curse if you don't. That's what God posed to the people of God. And you would think that they would have chosen blessing, and they said they did. Oh, we'll take the blessing. But the life that they lived and the decisions that they made and the choices that they made, ultimately, they ended up choosing the curse over the blessing in a lot of ways. And we, as human beings today, have a tendency to do the same thing, amen? That God wants to continue to bless his people, but we, we choose curse over blessing a lot of times because we ignore God's word. So uh, the, the title of my message this morning is Reverse the Curse, amen? And so I wanna talk about what, what is a curse. And first of all, if you ever wonder who is responsible for all these really cool title slides, Jennifer Knapp uh, does that. I think she deserves a hand. She does a good job with these types of things. I, I try to throw her off sometimes. I come up with these titles and I send her to see what she comes up with. And I thought this was a really good one. Uh, second only to the donkey sheep. That was the best one ever, the donkey sheep. They, I don't know, or, so I think Matt has maybe like a half percent to do with this, but the 99.5% uh, is Jennifer. So thank you for that. Anyway, uh, reverse the curse. So let's, I'm gonna, we're going to ask a few questions and answer a few questions throughout this sermon today that I think you'll see kind of where I'm going with this. First of all, what is a curse? Second, what is the curse, capital T-H-E, the curse? What caused the curse? Where did the curse start? What was affected by the curse? And ultimately, what can reverse the curse, okay? So first of all, what is a curse? And you, you know what a curse is. Somebody said, well, I put a, somebody put a curse on them. Ultimately, ultimately it means uh, they put you know, a, a bad aura on them so that nothing good can happen to them. Only bad stuff happens uh, to them. Bad luck uh, always comes, you know, somebody has a string of bad luck. A lot of times people say, I'm just cursed. Everything's happening that's bad. Um, Webster actually says to invoke evil, uh, invoke evil or injury upon a person. That's what a curse is. But I want to talk today about the curse, capital T-H-E, the curse that basically affects or that does affect every single human being. Now we, Different humans, we come along different strings of bad luck at times and it's different for everybody. And it seems like some people 
don't, some people have all the luck, as we like to say, you know, a lot of times. And, and for some people, if they had no bad luck, they'd have no luck at all. Like, boom, despair, and so on and so forth. Um, but, so I'm not talking about those little bad luck type things. I'm talking about the curse that affects every single human being that ever exists and will ever exist. And that curse is suffering, sickness, evil that we see take place within the world, natural disasters, and ultimately death, right? That is the curse that affects every human being. So what caused it? What caused the curse? One word, three letters, sin, right? Sin caused the curse. Sin causes suffering, sickness, evil, natural disasters, and death. Not necessarily directly related to your sin. Let me make it very clear so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If, if something bad happens to you, sometimes people have a sickness come or they lose their job or their house burns down. Some, some disaster, um, that doesn't mean that God is punishing you directly because of your sin, right? Because believe me, there's a lot of people that don't have bad things happen and they do plenty of sin, right? So these things happen to human beings in general because of sin that exists in the world. Does that make sense to you? What caused it? Sin ultimately caused it. The curse, all of these things that happened because of the curse, it wasn't because God was mean and doesn't care about us. I mean, people, or God gets a bad rap. When, when bad things happen in the world, natural disasters and sickness and, and untimely death and all of these types of things, you know, people always say, well, if God is such a loving God, then why does he allow such bad things and pain and destruction to happen in the world. And sometimes people even go as far as to say, why does he cause these things? If God is such a loving God, why does he allow the curse? The truth of the matter is this. God didn't cause the curse. The curse was never God's intention for the human race. He didn't cause it. God's intention for the human race was blessing. See, when God created everything in the world, especially mankind, the Bible says that God looked at everything he created and said, it is good. Whoa, that doesn't sound to me like a God who intended, who intended curse, suffering, and death, and pain. God looked at the human race, well, everything else he created, trees, animals, land, he looked at it after he created and he said, it is good. But after he created mankind, it's interesting that after he created mankind, he said, the Bible says he looked at mankind and he said, it is very good. In other words, the, the creation, mankind was, was God, that every other part of creation was for man. So God created us in blessing, very good. That's what God's intention was, not the curse. So where did the curse start then? Started in the Garden of Eden, Right? Adam and Eve, the very first human beings. None of us could get this right, right? Right off the bat, the very first humans created brought about the curse because they sinned against God. And don't blame them. You'd have done it too, right? Adam and Eve get a bad rap. You know, I've always, I've always joked that um, Adam and Eve, God's going to have to put Adam and Eve in protective custody when everybody gets to heaven. You know, I don't know how many women I've heard say, you know, after childbirth or different, you know, types of, you know, womanly types of situations. When I get to heaven, I'm going to slap Eve upside the head, you know. But I assure you, if you had been the first human being, you would have done it too. And so would I. Whoever the first humans to be would have sinned against God. Don't fool my, I'm not going to fool myself and think that if I'd have been the first human, that I'd have got it right and I would have uh, been, I wouldn't have, I'd have, I'd have sinned and you'd all been wanting to slap me in the face, right? Um, 
So when the curse came, when mankind, Adam and Eve sinned, and then every human being after them, and the curse is now in the human race, what was affected by that? What did the curse affect? And the answer to that is basically this, everything. Literally, everything in existence, all of God's creation that he created and said it is good, the land, the animals, all that stuff, everything was affected by the curse that was brought by the sin of mankind. Okay, so man, men, our curse uh, from sin, the results were that we worked the ground, we tilled the ground. Out of the sweat of our brow, um, we, we will live and, you know, basically God says this. Well, first let me say this. No more easy pickings for mankind. I mean, it, up until this point in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, you know, they had it made. I mean, I believe they had, you know, responsibilities and things, but life was easy. I mean, they get hungry, they go up and they just, they just pick the fruit off of the tree that God grew for them right? And, and everything God provided, and so life was easy. But once the curse, God looks at Adam, basically says, hey, you, you want to be your own God? Go for it. Because it's ultimately what brought them to the point of sinning against God. If we eat this fruit, it will make us like God, knowing good and evil. So God said, hey, you want to be your own God? Go for it. Have at it. Knock yourself out. And, but you're going to have to make your own food, Right? So from the sweat of your brow, you're going to till the ground and you're going to work for every meal that you eat and you're going to have to provide for your family. That was a curse upon men. The ground itself was cursed. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And to Adam, he said, God speaking to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you, you women wonder why we don't listen to you. The, the scripture warns against it. I'm telling you, I just read it. You know, I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. How many of you know our sin always affects other people and things? And because, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the, and then goes on to say, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. The ground itself, the earth, was cursed because of sin. Thorns, thistles, droughts, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires, all of these things a result of a cursed earth because of the sin of mankind. Can you imagine that? If, if there was no sin in the world, you and I wouldn't know what an earthquake is. They, we wouldn't exist. And you and I would not, when we, we wouldn't have to deal with thorns. Every time you've worked on something and you smashed your finger and said, praise God for this blessing, Right? <laughs> And, and calmly laid your hammer down and went to pray? Because that's what I always do when I hit my finger with a hammer. Any, anytime you've ever you hit your finger with a hammer or cut yourself, uh, you've been you know, picking blackberries and, and you pricked your finger with thorn bush or something of that nature, it's all because of the curse. Those things wouldn't have existed had it not been for the sin of mankind. The curse upon women, child, uh, pain in childbirth. When you have children, it was God created women to bring forth children. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing how women can bring forth a newborn baby. And God says, your curse will be that in, in that you will have to face labor and pain during that. So imagine if there were no sin in the world, you ladies would be, I mean, it'd be like, you'd just be reading a magazine. You know what I mean? Be giving birth, reading a magazine, take a nap. You know what I mean? Watch a little bit of you know, Hallmark Channel or something. I don't know, whatever you ladies do. It would have been no big deal. I'd just go through the process. But because of the curse of sin, 
You ladies have a hard time when it comes to bearing children. It's painful. It's all part of the curse. Now, I personally, I think that men got the worst end of this whole deal. I mean, I think that, I think that it's harder on, on men, ultimately. I mean, here's, let me give you an example. So Friday night, we go to Salem to the, to the, foot, or to the basketball game, and we get there, and it's pouring rain. I've got three women in the car, pouring rain. And you know what they expected me to do? They expected me to drop them off at the front door so that they could go in and not get wet. I had to park out in the back 40, out in Timbuktu somewhere, and I had to walk that whole way in the rain because I'm the man. I mean, we, get, we got the short stick, guys. It's just think about it. The curse. We till the ground, you know, we have to till the ground, all that stuff every day. You got just, you know, what, a couple days out of your, out of, out of your life and you, how many ladies uh, are sympathetic for me? Say amen. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, I'll take the thorns and thistles any day. If it was, if it was up to men to have babies, the human race would cease to exist. And we all know that the men all would say amen to that, right? No, you, you ladies are tough and we appreciate you. I'm just kidding. But part of the curse, the human body itself was affected and cursed because, because of sin. That, the last part of verse 19 there, and God says to Abraham, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. So a perfect, eternal body was traded for a decaying, sick-inflicted body that was doomed to die. See, that Adam and Eve would have lived forever. They'd have never died. They, they would eat, you know, of the, of the tree of life and, and so on and so forth. They would have never died. They would still be alive today. Isn't that amazing? No death would have ever taken place. But because of the curse, their body, the moment they sinned against God, their body began to decay. You know the moment that we're born, brand new babies, we begin a decaying process? Isn't that, isn't that something? It's kind of morbid, but that's the way it works. You know, of course, we grow and we mature, and, but then every day, we're, we're all, we've got that date with death, every one of us. So we, the curse, it cursed the human body. We, we're faced with things like, you know, with diseases like cancer and AIDS and heart disease and meningitis and polio, all of these diseases that have, have plagued and inflicted the human race for so many years is all because of sin that has entered the human race. God did not intend that. It's not what God wanted for us. We chose it. Isn't that something? Nobody, like I said last week, if I had if everybody raise your hand and say, uh, who would choose blessing in your life? Uh, everybody would raise their hand. And who would rather have the curse? Nobody, would, nobody gets up in the morning and says, man, I just really hope God curses me today. Right? <laughs> nobody, we, don't, we would never say and choose the curse out loud, but we do choose the curse. As has been proof throughout the history of, of mankind and in our, in our own lives, we do choose the curse because of, because of our sin, our rebellion, and so on and so forth. The animal kingdom was cursed because of mankind's sin. Snakes are poisonous and kill people. That's all a part of the curse. Ticks, chiggers. Everybody loves them. Ticks, chiggers, uh, carnivorous, animals that eat meat, right? Um, all of those things are a part of the animal kingdom being so, so if a lion comes along a little helpless lamb or, or some little small animal, what is just naturally going to happen? What is that lion going to do to the little animal? He's going to need a toothpick pretty soon, right? He's going to need it. That's all part of the curse, the animal kingdom cursed. Uh, they're plagued with their own diseases, rabies, CWD, 
mange, parvo, all these types of things that take place because of the curse of man's sin. So, paints a pretty bad picture, right? And we see it every day, we deal with it every day. And it brings us to the point of, okay, so is that where we leave it? Because if that's where it ends, then we're all without hope, right? We're all without hope. But fortunately, we serve a God of hope. Our creator that looked at us originally said, it is very good, never gave up on us. He came in clutch, right? And he came in and said, I'm not going to give up on them. My, the, peop, the world, mankind is under a curse, but I am going to reverse the curse. So leads to the question, what can reverse the curse? And there is but one thing, and one thing only that can reverse the curse, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the blood of God's son, the blood of the Lamb of God, who died on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, reversed the curse of all sin of mankind to those who will believe upon Jesus and turn their lives over to him. Even though mankind, think about this, even though mankind chose the curse over the blessing, God, in his love, immediately put a plan in motion that would reverse the curse, right? Galatians 3 and 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by, look at this, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, or in other words, crucified. Cursed, now you go back into those days especially, to be crucified was absolutely the most shameful way to be executed. I mean, if you were beheaded, that was almost a noble way to be executed. Quick and painless, it's over. But for somebody to be crucified and hung up on a a tree in the middle of town or outskirts of town where people go up up there naked, hanging on a cross for all the world to see, it was the most shameful execution that a man could go through to the point where the law itself says cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree or who is crucified. But Christ hung on the cross of Calvary, the Bible says, get this, he became a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, for our sake, he made him, Christ, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus literally becoming sin, becoming a curse, that when he would die on the cross, would cancel out our sin which ultimately brings us under the curse. Here's the the nutshell. When Jesus died on that cross, we should have been, we should have paid for our own sins, but Jesus paid for our sins for us. And the moment Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says he he looked looked up his head towards heaven and he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he said in a loud voice, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he died. And in that very moment, the curse was lifted off of mankind, right? And the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of atonement, the blessing of being able to know God that had been destroyed, had been, had been lost in the garden, was now resurrected. Colossians says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I love that verse. He took our sin, whatever it is, everybody's is different. Everybody has their own weaknesses and sin. But whatever our sin that we've committed, Jesus took all of our sin. When we, may, when we look to Jesus as our Savior, he took all of our sin. And when they nailed him to the cross, he had become the curse. He became the sin. They nailed our sin to the cross. That we would no longer have to bear it. 
Do you understand today that no matter how bad you've been, no matter what sin you've ever committed, that once you repent of that sin and, and you, you trust in the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you, that in the realms of heaven, you are like a brand new baby. It is as though you have never sinned. It is as though you are in the Garden of Eden, spiritually perfect before God. You say, man, that perfect does not describe me. And it doesn't describe me either as far as my performance is concerned and the things that I do. And people will always look at my sin and remember how. I, but in God's eyes, I have been restored. I have been forgiven. I have been cleansed. I'm no longer bound by the, the curse that sin brought in my life. So that, that brings us to, I guess, maybe another question. If the curse has been reversed through Jesus Christ, then, then why do we as Christians still suffer at times? He reversed the curse, right? Everything should, so Christians should have the sun, the sun shine upon them everywhere they go, and bad people should have a rain cloud on them everywhere they go. Kind of goes back to what I was talking about last week, right? The Bible says that it, it's, the sun shines on the just and the unjust. It rains on the just and the unjust. It just simply means that bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. So as we, if Jesus has reversed the curse, then why do we as Christians in many cases still continue to suffer in different ways? And here's what we got to remember. Okay, we, we are still and will continue to, steal, continue to deal with the aftershocks of the curse until this cursed world is over. The world around us, though I'm not cursed in the eyes of God, God looks at me and he, he no longer sees cursed. In sin, he looks at us, he says, you're cursed. But then in salvation through Jesus, he looks at us and he sees blessed. Though God looks at me and sees blessed, I'm still living in a cursed world. And, and the aftershocks, you know, it's, it's, it's a constant reminder for us that forgiveness does not revoke consequences. We, we can become forgiven for our sins, but in many cases throughout our life, we still face the consequences for those sins, right? You know, we, we reap what we sow, and so that can be kind of hard for us to deal with at times. It's not all reverse. God's, God's intention in sending Jesus Christ to the world and ultimately to the cross was not to fix this world. Can I make you understand that this morning? Jesus' purpose was not to fix this world and the curse that is on this world. His, his intention was to prepare us for the next world, for eternity. And in eternity, only blessing will exist. In eternity, when this life is over, there will be no curse. Time and time and time throughout the word of God, we're reminded that that time, that place will be so wonderful. No more sorrow, no more crying. The curse will be eliminated when this earth is destroyed I like, I like Romans 8, uh, verse 19. Kind of puts this in perspective. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This is speaking of the return of Christ when he destroys this world and brings the new one. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Literally, basically what he's saying is the earth itself is groaning. 
The earth itself, all of creation is longing to be restored. It's almost as though when you see the earthquakes and the, and the typhoons and, and the volcano eruptions and all these, it's almost as though the earth itself is crying out, God, please restore us. It's, it's facing the corruption and the pain from the curse and, cre- and creation itself longs to be restored. Hallelujah. And not only to creation and the world around us, but we ourselves, humans, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We groan inwardly. A lot of people groan outwardly, right? I'm not pointing any fingers, because I never do, you know. But we groan, we grumble, we complain. Why? What is it that causes us to complain? Government, taxes, Democrats, Republicans, our boss, our kids, our spouse, our wife, our our sickness, bills, taxes, all of these types of things are the things that we groan about. And if we don't have anything to groan about, we'll make something up. But all the things we groan about are the bad things that are happening in the world that's brought about by the curse. So ultimately, who do we have to groan? Who do we have to blame? ourselves ultimately but we still we groan we long for a day when we don't have to go through so much hardship and God said good news there is coming a day there will be a day where now the curse is already reversed in the sense of our salvation God looks at us and says you are blessed especially if you remember the poor and you mourn all these types of things but one day in totality God is going to reverse the curse as a whole. Everything that was affected by the, by the curse that we just got done talking about, man, women, and the curse, the, uh, the ground, the animal, all of these things will be reversed and it'll be a new place. The Bible says that he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, a new garden of Eden, if you will, where we don't till the ground and we don't get cut by thorns and thistles. The body will be new. Corinthians and Paul, in Corinthians, Paul is talking about how that this corruption will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. What does that mean? I am going to, just like Adam and Eve traded a perfect body that would never get sick and never die, they traded that body for a a sick, inflicted body that would eventually die. God said, now you're going to trade your sick, inflicted body, you're going to trade that for an incorruptible body that will never die. See, God is reversing the curse and restoring all that is good, all that he intended in the beginning. Ooh, I'd ought to make kind of somebody get a goosebump or two. I don't know, that's me. He's reversing new body, new earth, new animal kingdom. There's indications in scriptures within, not to get too deep out into the woods, but or into the weeds. Uh, you know, scripture talks about the lion laying down with the lamb. What did we say a minute ago? What happened when a lion met up with a lamb? Lunchtime, but in God's new kingdom, where there's no curse, it's only blessing. The lion and the lamb are buddies, and they lay down together. A child, so play in a poisonous snake's nest. Paraphrasing a bit, but scripture gives indication. A child would play in a poisonous snake's nest, and nobody would think anything different. Why? No curse. No poisonous snake to bite them and and kill them. It's It's all eliminated. It's all restored. Back to its original condition. That's something to look forward to. That's what blessing is ultimately about. You talk about you look at Abraham. We've been talking about Abraham a little bit in our uh, 
Wednesday night Bible study. And if you've been reading through the Bible app, which by the way, a lot of you are, I'm getting some great feedback uh, from the youngest ones up, up even to our uh, uh, senior group. Now, I don't know if the senior group's doing it on the app phone, some of them are, but they've printed it off. I think everybody uh, is getting in. I'm hearing some great feedback on, on the Read Scripture app. So throughout these last couple uh, weeks, you've read a little bit about Abraham, right? And God comes to Abraham and he says to him, I'm going to bless you, okay? And in blessing you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. And so what we find, what we talked about, just real quickly, what we talked about on Wednesday night is the difference in, in small picture blessing and big picture blessing. Okay, so the small picture blessing in which God blessed Abraham, it's those blessings that we focus on, the small picture, uh, within the scope of our life now, right? The temporary blessing. So God blessed Abraham with a son that he promised him he would give him. He, he, he blessed Abraham with a new land that he promised him. He blessed Abraham with a lot of riches and wealth and so on. So Abraham was a blessed man all within the, the small picture. But when God said to him, I'm going to bless you, that was not the blessing that God was talking about. It wasn't the small, it was the big picture blessing that God was talking about. And ultimately what that was, was that one day, through Abraham's descendants would come the Christ, would come the Lamb of God that would restore mankind and sin would be wiped away. Big picture, eternity. That's what God's ultimate blessing upon Abraham and ultimately of all mankind was to be. Huh. Wow. What was that? There's a few little lines in both of these songs. And by the way, the ladies who chose these songs didn't know what I was going to be preaching this morning. <clears throat> but there was a couple different lines in there. That, uh, you know, along the lines of, uh, I wouldn't trade what I have in God. That, that nothing compares to him. There's an old song that says, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but something, uh, uh, then to be a king of a vast domain and live in, in sin's dread swain, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Because it's all about the big picture blessing. We still battle the effects of that original curse. And we will until this life is over. But Revelation 22 and 14 says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Washed in what? The blood of Jesus Christ. Who have trust in Jesus' sacrifice to atone for our sins. Blessed are those that wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. The tree of life that ultimately would reverse the curse that came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not talk about all those ways that God was going to restore and reverse the curse. So though, though we live in a cursed world and we have to deal with a cursed body and we face a tempter who is constantly trying to bring us under curse, can I boldly declare to you this morning that God's people are not cursed? God's people are not cursed. I've heard Christian people say this before. I don't know if it was any of you. If it was, I'm not picking on you or anything, but, but hear me out. I've heard people, Christian people say this before. Our, our family abides under a curse. Maybe something that's happened, you know, different, different times throughout their life. And it's, uh, no, 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 no. Not Christians. N not the child of God. We're not cursed. We're dealing with a cursed world, yes, and bad things happen. But we are not cursed by God. Amen. No, nobody, nothing, not a demon in hell can curse. There's a, if you read in, in around the 22nd chapter of Numbers, we read about a story, we read about a man by the name of, of Balak. And he was the king of Moab. 
It was a nation that just hated the Israelites. And so Balak, he sees the Israelites in the land, and they're growing, they're prospering, and he's, just, he's afraid of them. He knows that, that God has blessed them. So Balak hires a prophet slash sorcerer, whatever you want to call him, hires Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. He's worried, they're going to they're take me over, they're going to say, I want you to come in here and curse them, because the Bible says that, that, that Balaam had this special gift, that whoever he blessed was blessed, whoever he cursed was cursed. So Balak hires Balaam to come and curse Israel, takes him up into this real high mountain, and, and, and looks down and he can see a part of Israel. And it's, it's the funniest thing, when you read this throughout the scripture, is that Balak, Balaam, when he looks down at this place and he begins to pray, God speaks to him and says, you can't curse my people. God's people are not cursed. Now, the children of Israel went through a lot, but they were not cursed. They were abiding under the blessing of God that was promised back to Abraham. God don't go back on his word. So God speaks to Balaam. He says, hey, you, you, can't, you can't curse them. So Balaam then comes up before Balak, and, this is what, and Balaam says something to the effect of, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? And he goes on to talk, and he ends up blessing Israel. And Balak's like, dude, I hired you to curse them, and now you're blessing them. He said, hey, God told me to. He said, well, let me take you to a different place where you can see them. Like, location was going to make a difference, I guess. He takes Balaam to a different spot, looks at a different portion of, of Israel's camp, and says, now, please curse them. God speaks to him again and says, it said, no, you can't, they're blessed. You can't curse them. So Balaam gets up and he begins to speak and he says something like this in front of Balak. God, what God is blessed and I, or God is blessed and I cannot revoke it. God has blessed that nation. I'm a man. I cannot revoke the blessing of God. Nobody can revoke God's blessing on you. No demon in hell can revoke God's blessing. You're blessed. If you are under the blood of Christ, you are blessed. And I think we need to lay claim to that. He said, the Lord God is with them. Balak's like, man, you did it again. I hired you to curse them and you blessed them again. So this is what Balak did. He says, well, I'll tell you what. Okay, don't curse them. Just take the blessing back, right? Balaam says, no, it didn't work that way. One more time, Balak takes him up on a mountain, like it's going to make any difference, shows him a different part, says, now, curse them, please. And then came the biggest blessing of all. Balaam stands and he says, blessed are those, he's speaking to Israel, blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. Balaam declares, everybody who blesses Israel, God will bless them. Everyone who curses Israel, God will curse them. What was it that, what was it that old Balak was wanting to do to Israel? He was cursing them. So Balaam turns to Balak and basically says, Israel will crush Moab brought the curse upon themselves. The point is, there was nothing anybody could do to reverse the blessing that God had placed on them. God's people don't abide under a curse. Still dealing with a little bit of the aftershocks and the, and the effects of the curse in the world. But you're blessed. Your name is written in heaven. Your sins have been canceled. And one day you will stand before God and he will say, welcome well done, good and faithful servant. And then you receive all of this new, this restoration. All of the curse will then be reversed. It'll be worth waiting on. One of my favorite verses, Paul said that the suffering of this present time or this life 
is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Basically, what he's meaning is heaven is going to be so good that nothing in this world is going to seem that bad, right? All the bad's going to be worth it when we really enter into that which God really says is very good. Now, I don't have time to go in this, but I would encourage you this week to read the book of Haggai. It won't take you very long. It's like two chapters, I think, maybe three, two or three chapters. But basically, in this, in this instance, you've got the people of God who, you know, have kind of laid down on God a little bit. They've, they've, they've put God's work on hold. And what we find happening within their lives and within their economy, within their country, is that their, their neglect of God's word or work uh, ultimately took them out of the flow of God's blessing, at least a short you know, the, the uh, small blessing, took him out of the flow of God's blessing and they began to see the effects in their economy and their crops were drying up and they were experiencing drought, all these types of things. So God compels them to get back to work for him, to start restoring the temple yet again. And once they acknowledged their sin and they did, they said, you know what, God, you're right. I've been a little bit too consumed in myself. How many of you have ever had that revelation? I have on many occasions, I might add. Lord, I, Lord begin to deal with me. Dennis, you've, you've neglected me. And I said, Lord, you, you're right. I've been more consumed in Dennis in my life than I have been yours. And it's not, not that God curses me, but sometimes he, you know, allow little things to get my attention sometimes and it bring me back to reality. And then he just turns the faucet of blessing back on again. And so these people, once they acknowledge their sin, God brought their lives back in line that they once again began to experience the, the blessings of God. You can't, you can't outgive God. Amen. You just can't outgive God. Whatever, see, our service to God blesses Him. We talk a lot about getting blessed by God. Again, we're thinking of the money and the health. Of all. We, God, we want God to bless us. But how many of you know that God wants to be blessed by us? Our worship blesses God. Our service to Him blesses God. When we do something for somebody less fortunate, that blesses God. When we pray and we study and we we seek God, we want to know more about God. That blesses God. And you can't outbless him. Amen. He says things like, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you so much that you're not able to contain it. Man. Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the one whose transgressions or sins are forgiven, whose sin is covered. There is but one thing that can cover our sin that God no longer sees it, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed is everybody who's saved, ultimately. is what that scripture is saying. So the question I asked you here this morning is this. Are you blessed or are you cursed? I'm not talking about your individual life situations. If you're saved... You know and you understand the gospel. You know that Jesus took your punishment and your name's written in heaven. And you'll go to heaven one day, not because you're a good Christian that goes to church on Sunday, but because of what Jesus did, you're blessed. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're still living and abiding under that curse. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Let me understand. Let me make that clear. You're you're living still under the curse in which you don't have that hope of immortality and eternity with God. There's no hope there. When this life is over, it's over. I mean, you, hell and destruction and being separated from God is all at that point anybody has to look forward to. So you're still abiding under that curse. And God loves you so much. 
He doesn't want anybody to be cursed. Everybody in this building can leave here today blessed. Amen? There's no reason for you to live under the curse and, and lose it all. And so this morning, piano, uh, mom, sweetie, come up. And I'm not, I'm not going to read this. You, I would encourage you to read it sometime this week. But in the 25th chapter of Matthew, Jesus gives a, an illustration of things that, what it's going to be like in the end time, the last day. And two groups, basically, one that was on his right side and one that was on his left. He said, in that day, when Jesus comes, it will be like a shepherd that is dividing his sheep from the goats. He wants to put all of his sheep on one side and all of his goats on the other. So he goes through and he's dividing. They said, that's the way it's going to be when Jesus returns. God going through all of the human race to determine who are saved and who are, who are Christians and who are not. Those who are blessed and those who are cursed. He said to those who are on the right, he put his sheep on the right. He said, you, uh, I was hungry and, and you fed me. I was lost, you, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. All of these things, you, your life was centered about working on me. And they said, well, Lord, when did we do these things? He said, as, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. The idea, what he says there throughout the scripture, he said, he, when he speaks to the sheep on the right, which, which ultimately represent uh, the church, Christians, those who trust in Jesus, he says to them, you're blessed. Blessed are those on the right side. And he says to the, to the goats, you rejected me. Cursed are those who rejected me. So I don't get any pleasure out of telling you that this morning other than to think that maybe the Lord might deal with your heart this morning. I believe that he is. I believe that God deals with every heart that's not saved. I believe that God deals in some form or fashion in every service. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads this morning if you don't mind. And 